Welcome back to the Truth That Heals podcast for part two with Angie Barrett. Angie, how are you doing Woo! today? Ryan, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And for those of you who are listening, we had Angie Barrett with us previously, where she was able to talk about her experiences within the Mormon community. And today, I kind of wanted to ask her a little bit about healing, because as my listeners know, I've been on my own healing journey, and it's had its ups and its downs. But today, we want to have a little bit more up. So I have um, Angie here. And real quick, I would like to ask you, what is it that uh, your healing practice does? Yeah, great question. Um, So I help people use play and movement to shift their emotional and their energetic, their, the feelings surrounding their trauma, stress, anxiety, depression, all of that kind of stuff. Um, And we do it through play and through movement. So I got started on this. Um, so I practiced yoga for years. I have have done yoga for probably 20 plus years. And as I was, um, for those of you just listening, I um, am a child abuse survivor. And um, I had some pretty significant child abuse. And about seven years ago, I had a mental breakdown and started on a pretty significant journey to heal. And as I was on my, my healing journey, um, I got to a point where I couldn't even do yoga anymore. Yoga was actually too much for me. It was way too, too structured, too regimented. Um, and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I was, um, also not able to work as a nurse at that point. I'm a registered nurse and working as a nurse was actually very traumatizing and very triggering for me. So I took a break from nursing. I decided I was going to go to graduate school to become a nurse practitioner, And halfway through my master's program, I realized I did not want to do that. It was actually um, in many ways more triggering for me and I had to take a break from it. So while I was taking a break, the yoga studio that I did still go to occasionally when I could make myself go was offering a yoga teacher training. And I thought, well, maybe I'll start teaching yoga. And so I took the yoga teacher training and became a yoga instructor and realized that I could teach yoga. I just couldn't actually be a student going to classes. That was just really challenging for me. So fast forward a couple of years and then the pandemic hit and um, I, the pandemic changed everything for all a lot of us. Um, and when the pandemic hit, another yoga teacher friend of mine asked if I wanted to take a certification to become a trauma-informed yoga instructor. She knew that I had a trauma history and and wanted to know if I wanted to take the certification with her on how to teach trauma-informed yoga. And I did. I thought it was very interesting. And so a couple of things happened around the same time. So I was learning how to become a trauma-informed yoga instructor. And in one of... Um, one of our modules, we talked a lot about how play and playful movements actually really help to tap in and regulate, help us to regulate our nervous systems. And by that, what I mean is it helps us to learn how to 
handle when we go into anxiety um, and when we go into depression and how to kind of navigate it. Cause we're always doing those ups and downs. Like you mentioned at the beginning, Ryan, mm -hmm. and, and all of us do that trauma or no trauma. That just is how our bodies function in general. And so play gives us um, an ability to help to minimize how big those up and down swings are. And at the same time, in my own therapy process, I was doing this protocol with my therapist that is designed for children who experience um, severe trauma as young children, whose brains form under those traumatic experiences. And I learned that all human, I mean, all mammals, but humans included, were born with our brains pre-wired for play. So think of how children learn, think of how puppies learn, you know, they play, we play, they're moving around, things are fun, it's this joyful type of thing. And as we get older, we lose that ability to play. We don't do that as humans anymore. Our play becomes competitive. We play sports or we play violin or, you know, or musical instruments. And it becomes very, um, very regimented. It's not done for just the pure joy of doing something. And so learning those two things kind of simultaneously, I started um, experimenting in my body with using play. And kind of also around the same time, this had actually started a little bit before, my body started doing these involuntary movements. And the only way that I know how to describe it is it, but my body actually moves and it feels like this untwisting. And mm -hmm. I've seen multiple doctors. I've talked to my therapist, my therapist has consulted with people and um, it's not very common. <laughs> In fact, mm -hmm. most people have not heard of it. And the, the only response is, well, my body's trying to release the trauma that it couldn't release when I was a child um, because my abuse was so severe, I couldn't actually move or do anything um, as my abuse was happening. And so my body just started these involuntary movements. And so I started using play and movements to help release this buildup of this emotional itchiness, this pain, this angst that I was feeling as I was going through my process. And it worked. It started making this huge difference. I found that I was able to find more, um, if not happiness, I was able to find more peace. I wasn't quite so, um, I've, when I get really triggered or upset, I, I want to peel my skin off. Like I actually will pick at my skin. And I found that I wasn't doing that as much because I was releasing a lot of this energy. And then I started telling some of my friends about it and they wanted to try it. And so we tried it and it worked for them. And it's now grown into this, um, it's evolved and it's grown into this um, movement, <laughs> i use that term, where using play and movement actually really does help people learn what their bodies are trying to tell them in order to release the trauma that we have stored up inside of us. Okay, so... So the, these movements are, as you were saying, it's like releasing like mm -hmm. the pain that you've had, like compressed in your body. It's kind of yes. like, it's kind of like unloosening the, the soda bottle, I guess. You mean my involuntary ones or the ones that the playful movements? The, that play, I the, the playful movements. It's like a way to so, decompress or? It, it is. I, I think of it like as um, releasing a pressure valve on um, like a pressure cooker to open up the valve and it lets some of that steam off. Um, so the best way to understand what's happening in our bodies is um, 
<laughs> um, I'm laughing because um, my brain just, I love talking about this and I could yeah. talk your ear off for hours. So I'm just trying to process what, what the way that would make most sense is to talk about it. Um, and the, the easiest way to, it, to understand what's happening is to talk about what happens in our bodies with our nervous systems in times of stress. And so trauma is part of that. And the easiest way to understand that is it's called the handbrain model by a psychologist by the name of Dr. Dan Siegel. And so the handbrain model, and I can explain it really quickly for any of you that are not science people, don't worry. This is designed for children. This is how my brain learns. So um, this this way um, makes sense to me. So if you take your hand, fold the thumb in, and then fingers come on top, this is half your brain. So if you do it with both hands, it would represent your brain. We have two halves to our brain. The right side of our brain controls the left side of our body, and the left side of our brain controls the right side of our body. So if you cut it in half, we're going to use just half the brain, although it's the same on both sides. The top part, the finger part, is the rational thinking part of our brain. This is the part of our brain that's the grown-up part that makes those rational connections that will say no, yes, you know, that can make those connections. When something happens, um, we sense some sort of danger. Our body goes into the thumb folded in. This is called the limbic system. This is the part of our brain that is where our fight or flight center is housed. And our mm -hmm. fight or flight is our body's way of protecting us when we sense danger. And so what happens when we go into fight or flight? Now, stress can cause this, worries over money. Um, a lot of people are in fight or flight right now with like the high inflation. How are they going to put food on their table? Things like that will actually trigger into fight or flight. And so when we go into fight or flight, our body's actually preparing us to either run away or to fight whatever we sense the danger is. So it's releasing adrenaline. It's releasing hormones that are getting your body ready to run or to fight to get away. Um, and so that's where that buildup of energy. A lot of times this is where we feel anxiety, irritability, restless when we're in this state. And then if this continues or gets worse, we move down into the brainstem, which is where the brain comes out um, into the spinal cord. And this is where we go into freeze. So have you ever seen a goat that gets startled and they like shoot their legs out and then they fall over? Well, we as humans do something similar, but we're just a little more sophisticated. We go into that freeze, but we um, oftentimes we like shut our emotions down. That's where we disconnect from our emotions. So here in freeze, we oftentimes feel shame. We feel despair, depression, that kind of stuff. The only way to actually complete the process is to go back through fight or flight to bring our rational thinking brain back online. Oftentimes we humans don't like to come back through fight or flight because it's very uncomfortable. Think of all that anxiety, that buildup. So we skip it, we bypass it, and we try and bring our thinking brain back online. So what happens when we do that is we just stuff all that emotion down. Even when we go into freeze, we still have this swirling energy, the hormones, the heart rate, the increased breathing, all of that is still happening. Our bodies are just literally frozen as we're falling off to the side in whatever way we do it. So by doing some sort of movement that actually releases the physical buildup of adrenaline, the stress hormones, all of that kind of stuff so that we can bring the rational thinking part of our brain back online. 
However, because that is so uncomfortable to go through, finding ways to, to kind of separate from the human experience and in order to release that energy um, is incredibly helpful. And so that's where play comes in is that by doing some sort of a playful movement, we're able to release that buildup of energy um, and get it out of our system. So we're not so likely to flip our lid. So it is kind of like releasing that pressure valve because we're not only releasing stored trauma, we're letting go of the current stuff that is stressing us out as well so that we can keep the rational thinking part of our brain a little more online. Okay, so let me just uh, yeah, uh, let me just step a, you know, take a few steps backwards so I can you know digest. Uh, yeah. So so you have that part, the the top part of the brain, which is the rational part, and then yep. going inside, it's the fight or flight. Fight or flight. Yes. Okay, and then the that stem, that part of that brain stem, is the where the freeze. Yep. Okay. Now what happens, what happens when the brain is in the freeze mode again? Yeah. That's oftentimes where we feel depressed, um, immobilized. We're not able to move. We don't want to function. Um, I feel suicidal when I'm in that freeze stage, um, hopeless. Mm -hmm. Those are those feelings that oftentimes we feel in freeze, numb, disconnected. Mm -hmm. Well, it's very interesting because like I, I did a podcast recently uh, like a testimonial podcast and I was talking about the the brainwashing or like the mind reform that I had to go through and one thing that I mentioned in that in that episode was that we had to repeat after the leader and that was it was like this repeat after me I am good for nothing I'm worth nothing I can never do anything good so, stuff like that yeah. and, and it's repeated and repeated and it becomes like a mantra and it's like in in my head, uh, I felt you know after leaving my after leaving my religious group, I felt frozen because I didn't have I didn't I didn't know how to well one I don't know how to think yes I I felt depressed I felt um, numb yes um, do you think that uh, the practices of your healing uh the the healing practice the healing practices you do can sort of help decompress you know people like me who have this brainwashed or you know this mind reform going on uh absolutely so i experienced that same type of brainwashing i didn't necessarily have to repeat things that my abusers were saying but i grew up believing that i was worthless i had no value <laughs> um that that i was unlovable and so a lot of what those will do, that brainwashing is um, it takes us out of our rational brain and then that starts to trigger into our fear center. So we start to have fear that we are worthless. We, you know, um, so our fear center is also very closely related to our memory center. So when something happens that we do have um, something that reminds us maybe of um one of those brainwashing episodes, then it can go down into freeze. So absolutely. So a lot of what I do with my clients when I work one-on-one -on -one with them is we work to actually specifically deconstruct those beliefs. Um, because play can and playful movements especially can take us out of that experience, that human experience where we have been brainwashed, we can explore 
um, feeling things in our body that, that prove that those beliefs are not true. So for example, um, one of mine is, um, I have no value. Oh, let me go with one. That's a little bit, um, I I'm weak. Uh, one of mine that I grew up with is that I'm weak. Um, and so for someone who has the sensation that they're weak, we would, um, I would suggest that they pretend to be an elephant or be a dinosaur, like some big animal that they get to be, that they get to stomp around and find the sensations of what it feels like to be big, to be strong, to be powerful. And then as they're doing that, like even the act of stomping around helps to reform those processes in the brain that say, oh, no, wait, I'm not weak. I'm not you know, helpless. I'm not stupid, whatever. I, I've, I've heard many of them that I really am actually, um, a, a person I'm strong. I I'm powerful. And so it's learning how to tap into the sensations that our body is telling us that disconnects from the brainwashing that our mind has. Um, our bodies know the truth. And that's where a lot of that freeze, that immobility, that depression comes in because our body's fighting our brainwashing. And so when we can step away from that brainwashing um, and feel the sensations in our body, it's like, oh, no, wait. Um, I was working with a client the other day and hers was that she's unimportant, that, you know, one of her negative beliefs is I'm unimportant. And as she was doing a movement, all of a sudden she was like, F no, I am important. Like what, 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 why do I even think that I'm not? But it's as we are able to separate from that brainwashing, our body tells us, our body knows. And so it's giving our mind a chance to rest, to allow our body to come forward and say, oh no, no, you really are important. You really do have value. Um, so one of the things that I like to do, especially for people like you and me who have the beliefs that we have no value or we're worthless, whatever your phrasing is, it's kind of, you know, they're all, everybody has their own specific wording surrounding it. Um, mine is I have no value or I'm worthless. Yours were clearly what your um, leaders had you repeat. But um, one of the things that I like to do, and this sounds really simple and it's not, so just be aware, is like to open your arms up and then to come back in and give yourself a hug. And so even just the simple act of giving yourself a hug can be very challenging. And then I say to people, shake like you're shaking someone that you love, like pretend like I pretend like I'm hugging my niece or my nephew. And so that little playful movement and then just repeating that over and over helps to one, soothe our new nervous system, but then also kind of, it's like, a, oh no, wait, I really do have value. I don't have to believe what they said because, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a grown up. I'm here. I, I, I am a person of value. So uh, now I'm going to make, I am going to make a recommendation. I do not recommend working on those negative beliefs and using playful movement without someone who can pull you out of those because, um, so I'll work with clients when I do it is we'll take their negative belief and then we'll work to do movement around the positive. So like I'm worthless, um, for me, that would be, I have value. And because that's so uncomfortable to even think or to say, or to even create space for, we'll do movement around that. And that starts to create an openness or maybe a little bit of a space that maybe you can start to believe it. And then it gets a little bit easier to believe and a little bit easier to believe, um, but I do not recommend doing that without someone there who can pull you out of that if you go too far into it. 
And that happened to me personally, as I was learning how to do this, I went into one of my negative beliefs and I got so deeply trapped in that I couldn't get out of it. I had to call my therapist to pull me out of it. So it's very powerful. And I don't recommend doing it without someone who knows how to pull you out in case you go too far in, because it can be really easy to get trapped in that, that negative belief. And then to go into that free state, to go back into that trauma state. Um, but absolutely. Yes. I, there are movements. Um, I work with people all the time to help reprogram their brain so that we don't have to believe those, those things that have been programmed into us. And I'm, I'm listening and as I'm listening, I, I feel I feel a connection because um, before I even did my podcast, mm-hmm. people don't know, but I suffered from extreme social anxiety. So yes, I'm I'm a very outgoing person, and I can I can meet people, but deep inside, I was just terrified. And there was this uh, practice that I learned. Uh, through a friend and it's for it's for um like before like before you talk to to a lovely woman or before you you talk to someone who's like intimidating like you go to the bathroom or you know somewhere private yeah and and you would do like these um I think they're called power poses yeah or or like or like strong poses and and the thing is is that you know the mind when it's in that dark place, it'll reflect in the body. And yes. you have this, I, I would have this, you know, slumped down body language. And, you know, it, it was obvious I wouldn't want to engage in mm-hmm. conversations. But then when I would do the power poses and, you know, I mean, this is on YouTube, but for those who are listening on the podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm flexing here uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm just a little... Uh, buffer but anyway exactly superman pose here <laughs> superman yeah. pose. but as i would i as i would do that i felt that the body language would kind of uh like restart my mind and then i would have this you know this um burst of confidence not not cockiness but it's like okay now i can go over there and I might get shut down by by this lovely woman, but at least I'm going to go and give it a try. Yeah, it's it. So it's amazing how movement and, 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 you know, doing a power pose is a type of play like you're doing it purely for tapping into that sense of of your bad acidness inside of you um, and doing. But that can help to to almost deconstruct that programming in our brain because our body is sensing, oh, no, wait, I am powerful. I can do this. I, you know, no, I'm trying to tell the mind, whereas, you know, the mind is what has been, um, has been brainwashed to believe something different, but our bodies know. And when we can tap into that by doing things like power poses or playful movements, it does shift our whole energy, our whole, our whole ability to to um to our whole perception of ourselves, not just our ability, our whole perception of ourselves. It does. And the the power poses for me, they're just the tip of the iceberg, because now listening to you, it's like okay, you can do these power poses, Superman pose, and yes, it'll give you confidence to talk to someone. 
but it's also good to use these skills to heal yourself. I it mean, the, and it's like, okay, uh, listening to you, I'm tapping into some new, new territory here. Um, what, uh, what can you share with us regarding, uh, like maybe other clients, uh, who have been healed? What does it look like? Um, yeah, I, so I, I work with people to learn moves that both release their energy, uh, you know, release this trauma as well as soothe them when they do get anxious or, um, upset, uh, nervous, that kind of stuff. So one of the big things is, um, to calm our nervous systems down, repetitive rhythmic movements are very soothing. And what I mean by that, my favorite one to do, and I do this one just naturally, I don't know if you've noticed it for anybody watching the video, but I do this sometimes is just a side to side sway and or front to back. And so it's exploring which one do you start to notice your shoulders relaxed, your shoulders drop, what happens with your belly, you know, like a lot of us when we're super stressed, our gut tightens up. So does side to side kind of help relax that? Or does front to back feel more soothing? So think of rocking a baby, babies, this is how we soothe babies, we still have that same wiring in our brain, it works for us as adults. And so uh, to, to get to your question, yes, I had a client who um, she was probably, I don't know, in her 60s, maybe even 70s, uh, probably 65. And she had never been able to say that she actually loved herself. And after working with me and one particular session, and I bring this up because this side to side sway was very soothing for her. She was able to just scream, I love myself. I'm amazing. I'm worthy. And she'd never been able to say that in all of her life before, um, which actually really brought tears to my eyes. It, it was so powerful to watch this woman who, who didn't believe in herself, be able to say that she loved herself. Um, I worked with a client who, um, who grew up with a very abusive childhood. And um, he felt he grew up believing that he was stupid. Um, that's something that he was told for many, many years. And um, after working with him, he was like, no, I'm not stupid. No, it was what everything that was around me that was screwed up. Like I was right. I knew what was happening was wrong. Um, it was everything around me. And so just to see his confidence shift that um, he was smart, he did know what was happening and that he got to trust himself was really empowering. Um, for me personally, um, I can say that I, you know, I've already mentioned some of mine are I'm weak or um, I have no value. I, um, I, I don't deserve love. That's a big one for me. And so I've chosen relationships that, um, that reinforce those beliefs. I've chosen people who, who do treat me poorly and I've accepted it. And now I'm like, Oh no, 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 uh, -uh don't talk to me like that. Or, mm -hmm. you know, just even my own sense of, no, I know who I am and I know what I'm willing to tolerate and not tolerate. And that's not okay. And so, um, my big, one of my big ones is when I feel unlovable, I'll do that self hug that I was ex describing. Um, when I feel like I am, um, unworthy or unlovable, uh, one of my favorite ones is to pretend like I'm an elephant stomping around and I am as big as I want to be. I get to trumpet my, my trunk as loud as I want. And I get to take up as much space as I want because, I get to, and that's who I get to be. And so my own have, have healed. Um, 
tremendously when, <laughs> when I want something and I'm feeling really kind of meek or mild, I'll pretend like I'm a lion going out hunting. And so just even that, um, even before coming on podcasts or things like that just really helps to shift when, when I do some interviewing, um, or talking about my story, because it can be very challenging. Like I'll do some sort of move pretending like I'm an animal. And that shifts me out of that. Um, even for me, it's fear of speaking of my story. So it shifts me out of that fear that, oh no, no, I get to be as powerful as I want to be. Um, a lot of my clients at the end, um, of, of even just one session are, um, amazed at how much easier it is to tap into whatever the positive belief that we're working on is. Um, and it's, there's more space between that negative belief and what they actually believe at that moment. So whatever their negative belief is, um, uh, I worked with one client and hers was, um, that, that, um, she couldn't do anything right. And so, and that one took a lot of us working with, um, we did a lot of sessions with her and, and because that one was really deeply ingrained and, um, she was able to say, oh no, I'm doing the best that I can. Like there is no right or wrong. I'm doing the best that I can. And, and I accept that, like, I'm proud of myself for that. And so it, it has been, it really depends on the person. There's so many, it depends on what their negative belief is, but, um, but just to see that shift or that, that space that, that enables people to say, oh, no, wait, maybe, maybe that really is a faulty belief I have up here. Cause in, in here, I know that I am powerful, strong, worthy, lovable, whatever it is. So, well, I'm, I'm so happy that I had you because I mean, I had you on the show. I mean, I don't yeah, have yeah. you, but yeah, I mean, I'm so happy that I have you on the show because uh, listening to you just gives me the courage to not give up on myself. And yeah, these, these dark thoughts, this anxiety comes, but now knowing that there are tools, uh, you know, there are therapeutic tools and there are counselors who can be trusted because like in, in many of our experiences coming from cults, we did have our trust betrayed. And you yourself, you shared mm -hmm. in the previous podcast how that trust was just like you know almost destroyed completely yeah. destroyed from a young age and yet you you came back up a fighter resilient and now you're helping people and now I would like to uh ask for uh where can people find you because there are, there's going to be people who are going to be interested on hearing about your mission about your um about the good things that you do and where can they find you? I'm making it long. Where can they yeah. find you? Yeah. yeah. So my website is probably the easiest way to find any of me. Um, my website is angiebarrettmovement.com and I spell my last name B-E-R-R-E-T-T. -T. We spell it funny. Um, and it has links to all my social medias. Also, if you feel like you're going to lose your cool, um, I do have a short five minute movement sequence that you can do that can help shift if you feel like you're going to lose your cool and you just need something, you know, before you punch a wall or whatever you're going to do, run away. Um, and the only thing I want to say is, by the way, I'm not a therapist, so I do still strongly recommend therapy. I recommend what I do in conjunction with therapy. And I work to help people trust themselves so that they can then in turn 
listen to what their body's telling them if someone's safe or not safe. So it does work to help rebuild that trust. Um, but we have to build that trust in ourselves, learn how to trust ourselves first, because for many of us who have been in cults, that trust is, is destroyed and we don't even trust ourselves, let alone like ourselves. And so that's a big passion of mine is to teach people. They are powerful. You do know what's right. And you have the ability to, to heal from within. I'm just the guide. You do all the work. I love it so much. Thank you so much, Angie, for sharing, you know, the, the bad, the sad, and for also sharing that healing is so possible and there is a need for resilience. And I think that you are being, you are becoming a light in the midst of so much darkness because there's so many people who need, you know, authentic light. And, you know, we trusted, we put so much trust in these people who betrayed it. And I'm so happy that here you are, instead of, you know, staying down, you're getting up, you're fighting. And not only are you are you getting up, but you're helping other people to stand, to walk, and to even fly. So again, thank you so much for what you do. And I look forward to sharing this podcast and sharing the links on the description below. So everyone, thank you for joining us. Go check out Angie Barrett's movement. And until next time, I am Ryan Anthony Hernandez, and this is the Truth That Heals podcast.